Ineffably Yours, Part 1, by Secondhand News. Chapter 14, Asleep, read by Celestial Biscuit Club Becky. September 2018, Crawley's Apartment, London. Looking lovely, Freddy, Aziraphale cooed approvingly, leaning close to spray a fine mist of water onto the plant's shining green leaves. He turned to a relative newcomer who was proudly displaying tiny pinpricks of fiery orange flowers and dutifully watered the source of the plant pot stood in, as per Crowley's militant instructions. It took longer than he thought, pacing through the apartment to tend to the plants, adhering to each specimen's specific needs. Some needed misting, others a heavy watering, a couple needing rotating every few days to avoid sunburn. Who knew plant parenting was such a demanding job? Not Aziraphale, not until he offered to keep an eye on Crowley's plants while he was away. New York, the angel assumed, given the time of year. He had thought about asking to go with him, had typed and deleted an untold amount of messages suggesting the idea, but ultimately deciding against it. They were supposed to be laying low, after all, keeping each other safe in the wake of the Armageddon that wasn't. Technically, Aziraphale had reasoned, the plant watering arrangement wasn't breaking any rules. He might be visiting Crowley's apartment, but Crowley wasn't actually there, so... Three cheers for loopholes. So many, he murmured, drawing a series of neat ticks down the lined paper as he checked off the plants he'd watered that day. For all his devil-may-care spontaneity, Crowley was meticulous when it came to the house plants. He'd left Aziraphale a full guide to who needed how much water, how frequently, who needed to be carefully checked for leaf spots, and who was allowed an extra drip feeder if they exhibited good behaviour. While he was happy to help out, he was an angel after all, and good deeds were the basis of his very existence, he would be lying if he pretended it was an entirely selfless endeavour. It was a thinly veiled excuse to spend time in Crowley's space, and feel a little closer to him, even if there was a sprawling ocean between them. He'd spent the afternoon fussing over the little details in the apartment, dusting the blinds, wiping down the inside of the kitchen cupboards, stocking the fridge with good cheese and plump, juicy berries. I'd ventured out to pick up a couple of bottles of red the two of them had shared before on their travels. They couldn't enjoy them together, of course, but perhaps he could take one back to the shop and they could drink them in tandem. The plants taken care of, the apartment sparkling and the fridge fully stocked, there was nothing else for Aziraphale to do. And yet, the thought of leaving to head back to the shop, to spend another night sitting alone and ruminating on what on earth the ominous message at the end of the conference had meant, filled him with dread. Perhaps sleep would help. Crowley always said that it was impossible not to feel better after a good long sleep, and he was in the perfect place for it. That big, imposing bed, cloud-soft duvet, mattress that curved to the exact contours of your body. If Aziraphale was going to attempt to sleep, then surely it didn't make sense to trek all the way across London, not when there was a perfectly good empty bedroom right there. Stepping into the bedroom unlocked the longing Aziraphale had been doing everything to tune out. It had been weeks, near enough a month, since they had been together, but it felt like an eternity. That brief glance on the morning of the conference had been the closest thing to torture he had ever experienced, and now, standing alone in Crowley's bedroom, the memory of him thump, thump, thumping in Aziraphale's chest, the need to be with him was so potent it bordered on painful. Sliding his shirt over his head, folding it over the edge of the dresser, 
He slipped under the duvet and curled up, knees to chest, finding that familiar amber and whiskey scent wound into the fabric of the pillow. Aziraphale closed his eyes, breathing him in and drawing comfort from the fact his own body now lay where Crowley's did most nights. He had spent millennia wandering the earth alone, so why was it now that he felt loneliness so pronounced it burned somewhere deep in his chest, gnawing its way out from the inside? When sleep came, eventually, it came in the form of half-smiles and snake-eyes, beautiful and dangerous, like everything worth having is. Crowley tossed a slim folder of paperwork down on the coffee table and kicked off his shoes. Bone-weary, he leaned on the back of the sofa and exhaled one calming breath, closing his eyes and reminding himself that he was home. The work was done, for now at least. He'd been sent on a job while he was in New York. As you're in the neighbourhood, they'd said. It was the type of work he particularly loathed, insidious temptations that started a spiral that would snowball until it engulfed everything in its path, the sort of work that his mind replayed on nights when sleep wouldn't let him escape. It had to be done, however much it destroyed him inside. Business as usual helped him fly under the radar, helped sell the story that he'd been outsmarted by the enemy one more time that day when the world failed to end. It bought them time, the possibility of a future made of more than pipe dreams and late-night honesty delivered through a phone screen. In the end, it all came down to what would bring him back to Aziraphale. His phone that rectangular sheet of glass and circuit boards that had never played a particularly important role in his life had become a lifeline that he had never let out of his sight. Every overly formal message, every meandering phone call that led nowhere and everywhere, it reminded him that there was something worth all of this senseless horror, somebody to call home at the end of it all. As he wandered through the apartment, pouring a glass of water, checking the plants, pondering the various ways he could sack off the entire celestial existence and disappear with nothing but his car and his soulmate, he felt something lift in him. It was slight, a kernel of hope, a flicker of comfort that wrapped itself around him, but it was unmistakable. A warm glow of reassurance, the promise that this pain, this loneliness wouldn't haunt him forever. And then he saw it, simple enough, a book resting on the edge of the sofa. The cream coat hung on the rack. To Crowley, it was everything. He eased the bedroom door open to find a sight that looked very much like perfection. His angel, fast asleep, face buried in the pillow. A faint light hovered around his body, golden dust dancing in the air. Even while asleep, he couldn't help but leave love in his wake. And all I leave is misery. He lingered in the doorway for a moment, committing every curve of him, every nuance to memory. The room was hot with sleepy breaths. The myrrh and vanilla scent that turned his head every time he smelled it hung heavily in the air. He padded gently over to the bed, sat down on the edge and marvelled at how vulnerable Aziraphale looked, how young. Acting on nothing other than instinct, he reached out to lose his fingers in those thick, white, blonde curls whisper soft feathers against his skin. Aziraphale moved under his touch, a sigh rumbling in his throat. Crowley leaned down and pressed his lips against the angel's warm temple, just as Aziraphale stirred and looked up at him, sleepy eyes crinkling in the corners as if he was the best thing he'd ever seen. You're here, he asked, 
his voice curious, as if it might be a dream, and hopeful, as if it might not be. I'm here. Crowley slipped into bed next to him, leaning against the palm of one hand, elbow crooked on the mattress. Sleep, Angel. I'll be here when you wake up. Aziraphale closed his eyes, settling back into sleep as easily as he'd woken from it. As he drifted off, he felt fingers slide between his in the dark, a thumb drawing circles on his palm. And when he dreamed, he dreamed of nothing but waking up to find himself already home. <laughs>